Alright everybody, welcome back. This episode we're going to get into Numbers, chapter 33, the summary of the encampments. This will be a historical record looking back at what God has already done. We'll take the first two verses, the account of Israel's journey written by the command of the Lord. Right? These are the journeys of the children of Israel who went out of the land of Egypt by their armies under the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now Moses wrote down the starting points of their journeys at the command of the Lord, and these are their journeys according to their starting points. So the record is strictly a list of campsites, not a brief history, and therefore it makes passing reference to the Exodus and the crossing of the Red Sea and no mention at all of the long stay at Mount Sinai. All right, verse 3 through 4, the departure from Egypt. They departed from Ramses in the first month, in the 15th day of the first month, on the day after the Passover, the children of Israel went out with boldness in the sight of all the Egyptians. For the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had killed among them. Also on their gods, the Lord had executed judgments. So they, though they were slaves, they did not have to shrink out of Egypt. God gave them the boldness to leave as conquerors, not as escaping slaves. And the plagues the Lord brought upon Egypt were not randomly chosen. They were specifically intended to humble the people and rebuke their belief in bizarre and demonic Egyptian deities or gods. So Ramses generally identified with uh, Heropolis, now the modern Abu Kashid which was probably the capital of Goshen and, by direction of Moses, the place of general rendezvous previous to their departure. All right, verses 5 through 15, from Egypt to Mount Sinai. Then the children of Israel moved from Ramses and camped at Succoth. Then they departed from Succoth and camped at Etham, which is on the edge of the wilderness. Then they moved from Etham and turned back to Phihiroth, which is east of Baal Zephon, and they camped near Migdal, right? And you go all the way through that, and it ends where they moved from Elush and camped at Rephidim, where there was no water for the people drink and they departed from Rephidim and camped at the wilderness of Sinai. So this portion of the journey between verses 5 through 15 took them more than a year but most of the time was not spent traveling but receiving the law at Mount Sinai. Etham means edge or border of all that part of Arabia Petria, which lay contiguous to Egypt and was known by the name of Shur. And this record bridges the gap between chapters 19 and 20, giving the route which Israel took. And the extensive nature of the camp implies great numbers. The 10,000 thousands of Israel waited on the edge of their inheritance. Before they entered, they had to receive instruction in the law. All right, coming down from verses 16 through 49 it's from Mount Sinai to the shores of the Jordan River. This is a lot of they moved from here and camped here. So I'm going to read the first and the last bit of these verses. This is verse uh, 16 to 49. So they moved from the wilderness of Sinai and camped at Hebroth Hadava. They departed from Hebroth Hadava and camped at Hazaroth. They departed at Hazaroth and camped at Ritma. Right? You come all the way down to verse 49. And they departed from the mountains of Abiram and they camped in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho and they camped by the Jordan from Beth Jeshemoth as far as Abel Acacia Grove in the plains, plains of Moab. So a very extensive and very specific historical record of their journey. And this portion of the journey took them some uh, 38 years, not because the distance was so long, but because God led them in wanderings because the generation of unbelief had to die in the wilderness before a generation of faith could be raised up to take possession of the promised land. The listing of Israel's encampments comes rapidly. More than 30 place names are given in quick succession. During this time, there was a lot of activity for the people of Israel, but there was no progress. They weren't coming any closer to the promised land and would not come closer 
answer until the generation of unbelief had passed away. And the day of Aaron's death is important for dating events in verse 38. Beginning with the first Passover, the record covers the 40 years and ends with a picture of Israel's host stretched out alongside the Jordan between two places several miles apart. Beth Jeshemoth, right? Modern Tel El Azima and Abel Shittim, modern Tel Kephrain. And it's because of uh, this record being as detailed as it is that you can chart it out on a map exactly where they were. Alright, coming down to verses 50 through 53, the command to conquer the inhabitants of Canaan. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you have crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you, destroy all their engraved stones, destroy all their molded images, and demolish all their high places, and you shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land that dwell in it, for I have given you the land to possess. So God had a unique role for the nation of Israel in regard to the people of Canaan. He used them as a unique instrument of judgment against the Canaanites. Remember, the Canaanites were worshiping pagan gods or demons. And drive out the inhabitants of the land and destroy all their engraved stones, their molded images, and their high places. This unique purpose explains why Israel was commanded not only to defeat them militarily, but to erase the remains of their idolatrous culture. Modern archaeology has documented the corrupt and demonic worship practices of the Canaanites, including child sacrifice. They were truly a culture ripe for the judgment of God. You can look at Baal worship. The Israelites did in fact succumb to temptation and centuries later were driven from the promised land thus God did do to you what he planned to do to the original Canaanites drive them from the land because of gross sin and immorality Alright, let's look at verses uh, 54 through 56, the command to possess the land of Canaan. And you shall divide the land by lot and as an inheritance among your families. To the larger you shall give a larger inheritance, and to the smaller you shall give a smaller inheritance. There, everyone's inheritance shall be whatever falls to him by lot. You shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your sides. And they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Moreover, it shall be that I will do to you as I thought to do to them. So God's intent was not only to bring judgment on the corrupt culture of the Canaanites, but also to give the land to Israel to possess. If Israel failed to drive out the Canaanites out of the land, they could still occupy the promised land, but the corrupt practices in the heart of the Canaanites would find a place among Israel, and Israel itself would eventually be driven out of the land, right? And this became true of Israel's history. They did not fully drive out the Canaanites, and though they possessed the land, the corruption of the Canaanites continued among Israel until eventually God allowed Israel to be driven out of the land in exile. You can find that today that the areas that Israel failed to drive out all the Canaanites on a map would relate to the Golan Heights, the Gaza Strip, and over where Jericho, Jenin, Nablus, and Ramallah was is modern-day Palestine, and those are still in contest today. Those are the same areas that they failed to drive out all the Canaanites, and it's still in contest today. So God takes his word very seriously, and it is no use for the church to secede in the eyes of man as Israel had seceded when they, occup- when, uh, when they occupied the land and became a legitimate nation. Instead of enslaved people, if it merely allows the corrupt practices and attitudes of the world to take root, if this happens, the church should expect to eventually be driven out from its place of success. So let's look at the Lord's commands. The land is given to Israel as promised in the Abrahamic covenant back in Genesis 15 through uh, verses 18 through 21. The way it was to be distributed was given by the Lord in Numbers 26 verses 52 through 56. And the command to drive out the nations, destroy their idols and their high places is, is uh, it's in Exodus 23 
Exodus 34, Leviticus 20 verses 1 through 5, and verses 22 through 26, Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 1 through 5, and Deuteronomy 12 verses 29 and 30, Deuteronomy 13 verses 6 through 18, Deuteronomy 29 verses 16 through 28. And that'll tie up Numbers 33. Next time we'll get into Numbers 34, talking a little bit about the land of promise and the boundaries of the land. Thank you for joining me.